many of you are just getting here for like the summer session like this week? Just been back this first week. Good. It's okay. You can raise your hand. Probably there's a few of you. It's all right. It's not, there's not just one. Uh, that's good. We're really glad that you're here. You joined us this morning at Campus House. Um, this summer, we are in a sermon series uh, all summer called, that we're calling Backstory. Uh, we want to look uh, each week at a particular psalm. And as we do that, we want to consider the story that's behind the poem. And that's what the Psalms are. They're Hebrew poetry uh, filled with laments and praises. Our friends at the Bible Project describe laments as prayers of pain, confusion, and anger. Uh, Prayers of lament draw our attention to what's wrong in the world and ask God to do something about it. Also, the Psalms are filled with songs and prayers of praise, which are prayers of joy and celebration. They draw attention to what's good in the world. They retell the story uh, of, the, of the goodness of God and, we, and thank God um, for his goodness. So over, over half of the Psalms are written uh, by King David uh, and uh, the rest by various other authors. Some of the Psalms have direct connections to things specifically that happened in David's life. Um, and we're taking a lot of time. A lot of our Psalms are going to be uh, around David and his life uh, this summer. Um, and so uh, these poems, these psalms have been written in light of these events that have happened to David. So as we spend time in various psalms this summer, we want to see what inspired the author to write the psalm in the first place and to help us give us a deeper understanding and appreciation for the psalm and its impact and application for us today. So our psalm this morning is Psalm 63. Kirsten read that earlier. Um, if you want, we're not going to get to it right yet, but if you want to get out your Bibles, um, We're going to be in Psalm 63, but also in 2 Samuel. So um, Psalm 63, actually I don't think I have this on the screen, but which is fine. Uh, Most of the Psalms have some kind of little introduction that's like verse zero, right? Uh, That has an intro for each Psalm uh, above verse one. And Psalm 63, uh, it says, a Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. So David spent a chunk of his early life before becoming king, running from the first king, Saul, who felt threatened by David and for a time was constantly trying to kill David. And so David spent a lot of time running in in the desert. But this psalm uh, actually points to another time in David's life when he was running and in the desert, um, but this time after he had become king. He uh, is exiled from his kingdom because of his son, Absalom. Actually, uh, a few weeks ago, I preached uh, on Psalm 42, also with this same backstory. Absalom was attempting to take the throne away from David. Um, So if you want to turn, I'm not going to read, I'm going to read a couple specific verses, but um, if you want to have it in front of you so you can just kind of skim as I talk, uh, 2 Samuel 15, chapters 15 through 17, is the backstory to Psalm 63. So if you want to flip back to there, you can or, or not. That's fine. Um, I want to give you kind of an overview of what's, what's happening in David's life that leads him to write this psalm. So uh, Absalom uh, was one of David's sons, and he has a very complicated uh, life that, uh, and things that are hard and difficult that I won't get into. Um, but uh, he has to flee uh, Jerusalem for a while because he kills one of his brothers I don't know, killing someone, is, you never kill someone for a good reason, but uh, one of his brothers raped his sister, not good, uh, and so uh, Absalom kills him and then has to flee and is in exile for a while, then he comes back, um, 
and is kind of back in, in the good graces of David, the king, uh, his father. Um, but he begins to uh, be very calculated and strategic in the way that he uh, gains popularity uh, with the people in Jerusalem. And eventually, over the course of four years, he gains popularity uh, among the Israelites, and he brings a bunch of people out with him outside of Jerusalem and pronounces himself king. And a messenger comes to David and tells David that the, uh, verses 2 Samuel 15, verse 13, that the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. And so David hears this and he flees. He doesn't stay and fight for the crown. He doesn't want Absalom to bring ruin to the city and kill a bunch of people. So he flees. Uh, verse 14, actually, of chapter 15 of 2 Samuel says very clearly he doesn't want to stay uh, and cause more problem for his people. And so he leaves, he flees. And as they're leaving, his people are bringing the Ark of the Covenant with them to go with them. Lots of people are going with David as he goes. Um, and David tells them to leave the Ark. The Ark uh, was the representation of God's presence for the people of Israel. And so it was a big deal for it to not go with them uh, and for David to have it stay in Jerusalem. And he tells um, the people, Zadok, who is actually one of the priests taking it out, 2 Samuel 15, verse 25, he says, Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. So David is trusting God and says, Leave the ark. Uh, if this is God's will, then this is, the, this is God's will. Uh, and he doesn't want to have any control, take any control out of God's hands. And so they leave the ark. So David and all the people leave Jerusalem, and they're weeping as they go. They're all, they're weeping. <laughs> uh, it's an emotional time. And if that wasn't enough, uh, one of Saul, who was the first king, who didn't like David and who David uh, took over for, uh, one of uh, Saul's family members, uh, comes out and it starts cursing at David and throwing rocks at David. Uh, and David's people with him say, hey, can we go cut off his head? Uh, and David says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Because David says, uh, maybe he's cursing him on behalf of the Lord. In 2 Samuel 16, he says, it may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. David lets him continue to the rock. So as they are walking, this guy is following them and cursing and yelling at him and throwing stones and says, showering them with dirt as they walk. So if it's not bad enough, you lose your kingdom. Uh, it's very emotional. You have to leave God's presence in the city. You're out on your own, and this guy is just throwing dirt and rocks at him. So they get to their destination. It says in 2 Samuel 16, verse 14, and they are exhausted. So this is the backstory of Psalm 63. King David has fled the kingdom the Lord had given him. He's running from his backstabbing son who's made himself king, and he is, uh, had rocks and dirt thrown at him, and he's been cursed, and he is exhausted. And this is what he writes, Psalm 63. If you want to flip back to there, I'll have it on the screen as well. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I actually want to read that again, and I would love, love it if you read along with me. And sometimes it's helpful, um, you know, to stand up. Uh, there's something, so stand up, please. You can listen to it being said. I think there's something about reading it out loud and hearing it coming out of your own voice that can be helpful for us. So I'd like for us to read it together. And this is purposeful, and I'll come back to this in a little bit. Uh, okay, here we go. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Thanks. You can sit down. So as I've been looking and sitting in this passage this week, I broke it down into five sections um, it's not a, it's only 11 verses, um, and I think, but I think there is a progression here uh, with David, and I, I want to highlight that with, with kind of this breakdown. So verse 1 is the search for God. Verses 2 through 4 is remembering God. Verse 5 is being satisfied in God. 6 through 8 is committed to God. And 9 through 11 is to trust in God. So we'll look at, at each section here, so if you're trying to write it down, it'll, it'll, be, it'll, it'll stay up there, okay? So the first is verse 1, the search for God. It says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So it begins with a cry out to God. It says, God, my God. There, there is a, a personal connection. David very much knows God. 
there is a personal relationship there. There's also a strong sense of David being separated from God because there's this powerful longing for God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and desolate land with no water. And David actually is in the desert. (laughs) He's physically feeling the dryness of his situation, but more importantly, he's feeling Maybe physically he's actually thirsty. He's actually uh, separated from his kingdom and from his people. But more importantly, he's feeling this spiritual condition that he's in. He's sensing this separation from God. And so he says, earnestly, earnestly I seek you. It's to seek with longing. It's a passionate desire for God. It's a singular focus. A singular quest, focused quest for God himself. As, so if you're, imagine yourself in the desert. If you're in the desert and you don't have any water, it's life or death. All you want is water. David is physically in the desert, and maybe he feels this need for water, but what he knows he absolutely needs is God, and it's life or death. So there's this a search. David is searching for God. Then he remembers God. We talked about this. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 42 and 43, the importance of remembering. This is verses 2 through 4. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. David remembers his God. He recalls where his thirst has been quenched previously. He's seen God. He's experienced God and his power and his glory. And it says his steadfast love is better than life. God's steadfast love is better than life. I don't know if that stuck out to you, but that is a strong phrase. God's steadfast love is better than life. David remembers or is actually maybe trying to remind himself that God's love is everything and anything that he needs. The Hebrew word, Therefore, steadfast love is chesed. And this is God's unfailing love. This is his loyal covenant love for his covenant people, Israel. Half of the Bible's references to his covenantal love is found uh, in Psalms, this, this word. Psalm 89 says, My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall be his horn, and in my name shall be his horn, and may it be exalted. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand with firm for him. Verse 33, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Those are God's words to the psalmist in Psalm 89. God's committed, he's faithful, his unfailing love, his loyal love is better than anything. It's better than life itself. And David remembers the impact of God's love over and above everything else, and that produces praise from him. My lips will glorify you, he says. I will bless you, or other translations say, I will praise you as long as I live. He's showing appreciation and gratitude for God's love. He's lifting his hand and says, in your name I will lift up my hands. And lifting up your hands is just a way to get your body uh, in on expressing worship and prayer to God. That was a common way. Lifting your eyes up, lifting your hands up were a common way to just express uh, your worship, our worship, and our prayer. 
So God, uh, so David uh, is search, searches for God. He remembers God. And then he talks about being satisfied in God. Verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. In his searching, in his remembering, it leads to an acknowledgement of his satisfaction in God. The Old Testament and Jesus talks about, uh, in Jeremiah, and it, it talks about this, and Jesus says it very specifically, seek and you will find. Searching and remembering what God has done leads to uh, a recognition of our satisfaction that God has given us all that we need, that he is everything, that his love is better than life. God's love and presence in our life brings life-sustaining satisfaction, at least for David here in this psalm. David knows he's everything and all that he needs. Like water, like, like you need water in the desert, David knows he needs God in life. And that just brings on more praise, right? He says, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So there's a search for God, there's remembering God, being satisfied in God, and then being committed to God. This is one of the things that struck me um, in this passage, I'll talk about it in a little bit also more, but... Um, is, is David's commitment, his devotion to the Lord in this time. It says in verse 6, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your, wing, your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So it says meditate on you in the watches of the night. Uh, to meditate, it's a very, that's a very, again, a very active pursuit. He's earnestly see, searching after God. He's meditating in the watches of the night all night long. He's giving every effort, all his energy, to thinking on who God is. And through the watches of the night. So it's possible this is the case for David. Specifically, he can't sleep because he's afraid that this enemy is around the corner and is going to kill him. So maybe he's awake because of that. Uh, but uh, even in the midst of that, he is he's deliberate. He's intentional. He's committed uh, to his focus on, on God in the midst of whatever stress he is experiencing through the watches of the night all night long. It says, for, or NIV says, because you have been my help, because you have been my help, in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. You have been my help, you are currently my help, and, and we'll see even uh, David trusts that God will be his help, past, present, and future. Once again, uh, praising God uh, and in the shadow of his wings is just a, a phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament, specifically to talk about and reference the security that we have in the Lord's protection. Then he says, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And the word clings there is an important one. Uh, it's a powerful and important word actually throughout uh, the Old Testament in particular. Um, and you might have heard it uh, it means to cleave, uh, and it's used lots of places. The first place in Genesis 2, uh, 24, where it talks about Adam uh, being united with his wife. He's, he's united to his wife. He's to hold, uh, NIV says united to his wife. The ESV says to hold fast to his wife. Um, it's the same word here. My soul clings to you. It's a, it's a commitment. It is a holding on. And then throughout in Deuteronomy, many places in Deuteronomy, in Joshua, 
um, the command is for us to hold fast to God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and hold fast to him. Many times, four or five times throughout Deuteronomy, it says to hold fast to God. Hezekiah, in 2 Kings 18, it says Hezekiah uh, was one of the kings, uh, and it says that he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him, because, verse 6, he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. My soul clings to you. My soul cleaves to you. It holds fast to God. Older trans, some of the older translations say, my soul followeth hard after thee. And I like that. There is a pursuit on our part to hang on. It's, a, it's very much an active pursuit. But also, David knows that his ability to cleave, his ability to hang on, to hold fast to God is only because God has a firm grasp on him. He says, uh, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. His right hand upholds him. The right hand is the, is the stronger of the two hands. It, 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 it connotes authority and power. Isaiah 41 says, Do uh, not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. David's ability and our ability to be committed to God, to cling to him, to hold fast to him, comes first and only from God's commitment to us. Then the last section, the way I've broken it down, is to trust in God. So David is committed to God, and that leads to trust, verses 9 through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. David is in a tight spot. But he knows uh, and he trusts that in the end, God is going to get the victory. So he has searched, he has remembered, he has found satisfaction, um, and he has committed his way to God. And now he trusts God, even though uh, things don't look good for him in the moment. He trusts the Lord. And David gives credit where credit is due. The king shall rejoice in God, verse 11, when uh, those who seek to destroy his life shall go down in the depths of the earth. He doesn't take credit for that. He says, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him, who swear by God, shall be exalted. Shall, uh, um, the NIV says, uh, will glory in him, will glory in God. Those that swear by God, swear by God, basically is to take an oath of loyalty, to, com to commit your way to, a, to the king. And God is ultimately victorious, and those that have aligned with the king share in the victory. So, this, I said this to, a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's important as we look at the Psalms, how we, um, so that's the, the breakdown of the Psalms. I think it's important for us as we read them and apply them for us to understand something about the Psalms. Um, in a book that we uh, read with our, some of our leaders here called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, um, they talk about, in the chapter, they talk about the Psalms, um, and they talk about the fact that Bible is, the Bible is God's Word. We talk about the Bible being uh, God's Word. Um, and it's not just words from God to people. 
but it also includes words spoken to God or about God. And the Psalms specifically are um, mostly words spoken to God or about God. So the Psalms are songs addressed to God um, or, or, some, or songs that express truth about God. So then the question for us is, how do these words spoken to God function as a word from God to us? And the author puts it this way. I like this a lot. He says, the Psalms help us express ourselves to God and to consider God's ways. The Psalms, therefore, are of great benefit to the believer who looks to the Bible for help in expressing joys and sorrows, successes and failures, hopes and regrets, or simply to worship. And so I think that is what um, I have been struck with and struck by in this psalm this week, um, is that these are words in this psalm that I want to be able to say honestly to my God. I was, I've been super encouraged by these words, and I've been thinking about them a lot. And I, I, I don't know why I've liked it so much. What, I think what I like about it is I see David's devotion to his God. And I want that same devotion to my God. I want the words of Psalm 63 to be true. I want to read the words of Psalm 63 out loud. I want to say them, and I want them to be true for me. I don't know if you were reading that, if we've been sitting in it, if you've been thinking about that. But I'd like you to think about that. Are these words true for you? In the search, do I earnestly, this is just, just for me, and I'm just going to tell you the things that I've been thinking about, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying that some of this will stick. This is, these are the things that God has been churning in me through this passage this week. Searching for God. Or do we earnestly, do I earnestly, do I earnestly seek after God? Does my soul thirst for him? Does my flesh grow faint for him? Not most of the time. No. And especially in moments where I uh, probably need him most, he is not always the first place that I go. Especially in moments where I feel dry or in a desert not actually physically in the desert, but where I just feel dry or spent or tired, God is not often the first place that I go. But if you look throughout Scripture, the wilderness, the desert is actually a place throughout Scripture where God speaks. Moses and the Israelites wandering in the desert received the law from him. Elijah meets the Lord in the desert. John the Baptist in the desert. Jesus is baptized and he goes straight to the wilderness. And it is not easy for him in the wilderness as he meets with Satan and Satan tempts him. In the desert, we're stripped of our defenses. We're vulnerable, but it gives us an opportunity to be quiet. There's nothing else to be quiet and listen for him. Too often I, I don't uh, hunger and thirst after him. Or for, or for righteousness, Matthew 5, Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Too often um, I feel like my soul does not thirst for God. Remembering. Do we remember? Do I know that his love is actually better than anything else in my life? Do I actually believe that his love is better than my life? Job had a sense of that in his sufferings. He says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. But Jesus talks about this in Matthew and Mark and Luke, that we have to lose our life to find it. 
but do I actually believe that losing my life actually allows me to find it in him? That phrase especially has stood out to me, uh, that your love is better than life. And I've been thinking on that, and, and I encourage you to be thinking on that uh, this week. Do I find satisfaction in him? Am I truly satisfied? A fa- it says, uh, a fa- uh, I love the, the line, it's very, um, it provokes some strong imagery. Fat and rich, right? Fat and rich foods. When I turn to God, when I search for him, when I, when I find him, when I remember him and know that his love is better than anything else, then I find satisfaction. But too often I turn to other things. Jeremiah talks about we, we dig our own wells. We try to find uh, water somewhere else that's not the living water. Jesus meets a woman at the well in John 4. And they're having a conversation. Well, the woman's having a conversation, and Jesus is having another one with her. Um, she's trying to avoid uh, some truth, and he's trying to give it to her. Um, but in verses 13 and 14 of John 4, it says, Jesus said to the woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. They're at a well. Um, and so she, they're talking about this, the water, and he asks her for a drink. And um, so he says, uh, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water, it's like never ending, right? The water just keeps coming. It's a spring, keeps coming. We can be fully satisfied in him and in him alone. If we're thirsty, he calls us to come to him in John 7 and Revelation 22. He is the one that brings us full satisfaction, yet I find myself digging wells other places to find my satisfaction. And then commitment. This is the one that really stood out to me this week. David is committed <laughs> to the Lord. He clings to him. as My soul clings to you because you are my help. I meditate on on, your, on you all through the night. As we come to know God's commitment to us, his covenant love for us, it fills us with a passion to be committed to him and experience his love that is better than life. But when things uh, proverbially hit the fan for us, we have emotional earthquakes and they break down our defenses and we see our emptiness. And there's nowhere else to go except to turn to the Lord. But I don't always turn to him. I, I, don't, I don't feel devoted uh, like David is devoted. And then trusting him in his victory. Our actual real enemy that Satan is is actually defeated. Jesus defeated him uh, on the cross, but he is still around and he is not going down without a fight. But our God is our help, our protection, and he has authority over anything the evil one would do. And when we swear to God, we swear by God, we take an oath of loyalty to him, we make a commitment to our King Jesus, 
And then his victory, since we're committed and tied and connected to him, his victory is our victory. We get to share in the glory of his victory uh, as his people. Romans 6. Thinking about this and just our sharing in his victory. Um, verse, uh, Romans 6, verse 5 through 7 says, For if we have been united with him in death like this, we, sure, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Because Jesus died and didn't stay dead, we can uh, be freed from our sin. So those are some of the things that, that I've been thinking about that have been turning in me. And so uh, hopefully that's not discouraging. Uh, it's honest. Uh, and, uh, but here's what's been encouraging for me, <laughs> and I hope will be an encouraging word to you this morning. But go back to thinking about David's story with Absalom. And I, as I've read through this story a couple of times in the last month, actually, uh, several times over the last month, I am very struck by the fact that David has been walking with God for a long time at this point in his life, a long time. He's gone through a lot of difficult things. Uh, last week, Rick taught uh, on Psalm uh, 51 uh, and the story of David and Bathsheba and David uh, stealing another man's wife getting her pregnant, and then killing him. Uh, that's not good uh, at all. If you, if you didn't know, that's not good. And so, uh, but David has been through a lot with God. And you see the maturity and the trust, I think, in David's heart and mind in this situation with Absalom. So Absalom takes over. Uh, he uh, crowns himself king, and David uh, doesn't fight. He says, all right, I'll go. And it says in, the, in 2 Samuel, because he doesn't want uh, anyone else to die. And he leaves the ark. He, again, he's trusting God. If this is God's will, I'm going to trust God. And he lets this guy just throw rocks and dirt at him and curse at him all along the way as they flee. That is devotion to the Lord. And I think you see, I see the devotion that David had for his God in these words in Psalm 63. And I want to exhibit the same for my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. I want to search and I want to remember and I want to be satisfied in God. I want to be committed to him and I want to trust him. And I can't do that perfectly and that is okay. And you can't do it perfectly and that is okay. <laughs> the great news is, and I think also comes through in this psalm, is that it starts uh, with me truly and fully knowing that God is the initiator of our devotion. From beginning, God has always been devoted to his people. In Genesis, he creates all of, he creates all of this. Adam and Eve uh, are created, and they're in the garden, and they, they disobey him. They disobey God. He doesn't turn his back on them. He actually goes and searches for them because he is devoted to his people. He's devoted to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He stays committed and is devoted to the people in Exodus when they're enslaved for 400 years, and he frees them because he's committed to his people. He makes a covenant with David. His covenant with David um, uh, in 2 Samuel is really strong and powerful. God promises to stay with him forever. And actually, is the line, David's line is the line that all leads all the way up to Jesus. Through the prophets, the prophets, he calls the prophets to draw the people back to him because he, stay, he is committed to his people. And ultimately, Jesus comes to show his ultimate devotion and commitment to us. He is so devoted to us. He is so committed to us that he sent Jesus. Because there is no other way for us to be in a space with God Because of our sin. Adam and Eve were the first sinners, and we've all followed suit after them. And our perfect God cannot be with that imperfection. And so Jesus came to earth. He sent his son to live on this earth to show us God's love and then to die the death that we should have died so that we could live and have life full life with him. Eternal life, yes, but eternal life with him is the important part. God was so fully committed and devoted to us that he sent his own son to die. So we could know and experience his love that is absolutely better than life. So we can know that he is our help and that he always upholds us with his right hand. I can't, I, I've been inspired by David's commitment and devotion to the Lord, and I can't match uh, God's commitment and devotion to me, and David couldn't either. <laughs> but my hope and my prayer is that Psalm 63 would be true, more and more true of me every day. <laughs> That's my hope and our, my prayer for you this morning that you can read those words and they can be more and more true for you every day. Knowing and trusting in God's commitment to you that you don't have to get all of those things right. But that will draw us even closer and deeper into intimacy with him.